Are we recording? Ba da ba ba da ba 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 ba. No, too much, too much, too much, too much. Hey everybody, welcome to Ducks Watch Together. I'm Josh. You're starting with food sounds. You're starting with food sounds on this episode. This episode of all episodes. And on today's episode, we talk about our Coen Brothers Awards. Our listeners do not want to hear the snapping of carrots. Dare I to rather hear the snapping of your fingers? Well, I mean, why are you going to snap my fingers? What What have I done, Kylie? My name is Anton Sugar. <laughs> How much have you lost on a coin toss? What's the most you've lost on a coin toss? Wait, like, an, like a literal coin toss or a figurative coin toss? Literal. Not much. You, it's a literal coin toss. Yeah. It's literally a coin toss. Yeah. Like a figurative coin toss? I've lost a little bit. Like, some cash. Well, because like, I'm figuratively, like, it's 50-50 odds, which is like a coin toss. And, like, so when you're playing poker, like, you, you've got those odds often. Mm. No, I mean a coin toss. Okay, yeah. No, I don't bet much on coin tosses. Mm. Not like gas station attendants <laughs> who unwittingly play with their lives. <laughs> Didn't have a choice. By simply asking a question. Maybe it would have been better if he was just like, no, no, take your peanuts for free. Yeah. Go for it. Go for the gold. You know what I realized when I was watching No Country this time? Something that I had not realized before, and I was like, you are, you are dumb. Just in fact that I I am admitting out loud. I am dumb. That movie doesn't take place contemporarily. Like when the film was released. Uh Uh-huh. No, it takes place in like 80. Yeah. 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 Just got there. No worries. I was like, man, Texas is really behind on lots of things. Nope. No, no. This is just... Some things Josh is working out over here. Kylie, Kylie, how you doing up there? I'm doing great. I'm do- I'm I'm totally engaged for this episode. You're totally engaged for this episode, Kelly. Uh, I well, will, then I didn't struggle at all with any of it. Well, that's good. I, I didn't I... have a hard time understanding what was happening for this list. I took the time and effort and didn't look at the clock and see that it was. 3.45 and then I should probably actually start making this list before Josh gets home. I've been working on this <laughs> list for like three weeks at this point. Oh my gosh, you're an insane person. <sighs> so I have lots of points and thoughts. Oh, did I finish my... Oh man, okay, I gotta do that. Um, I have extra things that I made that we didn't have to like rank, but I made them anyways and I ranked them. I've got my topics that we're gonna talk about. I've got an essay that I wrote. Wait, Kylie... Kylie, where are you going? You, I was gonna ask you a question, and then I was gonna have you set, do some setting up of things, and then you left. And you're not here. It's just you can't leave yet. Why not? Because we'll never get to cachet if you don't if you leave now. Listen, Kylie, we've we've gone through your John Wicks and your. Uh, we've gone through one John Wick. Uh, we've gone through. We have never done an episode on two or one. We well, did a Keanu. Listen, it was... Yes, we did your fight scenes. 
We did your uh, we did your Jamie Bell list. All right. What, we, do, what do you mean, my Jamie Bell list? And if anything, you were the one that ruined that one. I didn't ruin anything. I made a comprehensive list that featured specifically five Everyone. things. Everyone. All of Broadway. <laughs> all it's of Broadway. fine. It's fine. Number three, all of Broadway. <laughs> well, it couldn't be number one. That would just be ridiculous. Kylie, why? What are we doing and why are we doing it? I don't really know. <laughs> if I'm going to be honest, I'm not sure what we're doing. I'm not sure why we're doing it. But you asked about it, and my immediate response was to turn it down. And then I said, okay, let Josh make his point. And then, like, I still didn't really get it. But I was like, all right. This is this is Josh's... This is his boys. Uh -huh. so, like, yeah. so, like, I was just... I decided to just trust in Josh. Okay, so... So every decision that you hear, everyone, is Josh's decision. So if... And I just saw the evil happening and just allowed <laughs> it to happen. So whose fault is that? So what you're saying is, if this becomes our most downloaded episode ever, then uh, then that's on me too. I don't. You kind of you kind of sabotaged it with your opening of your carrot snaps. I, t I promise you, it won't be our most downloaded episode ever. What do you think is what What is our most downloaded episode ever? Anne's favorites. Oh, that's a good one. People people do like Anne. Do they? Do they? Sorry, I'm looking at Billy Bob Thornton's career. It's... It exists. It, yeah. It's nothing impressive. I like Billy Bob Thornton. But, like... Is... Sweet Blade's so low on his film popularity. Which, like... Sweet Blade is, like, the thing that I'm like, Oh, yeah, people know Billy Bob Thornton for Sling Blade. That, that would be the one. <laughs> no, it's, like, very down there. What is above Sling Blade? Is Friday Night Lights above it? No, it's in line with it. Okay. Okay, so this uh, is a Christmas film is that it you... Is Bad Santa? Yeah. One and two? Mm, just one. Okay. Okay, we get one. Okay. Here's a Christmas film that you find obnoxious. A Christmas story? No. I mean... He's definitely not in he's a Christmas in, story. He's in more than Bad Santa? Uh-huh. It's British, <laughs> as we would expect from British. Is he in love, actually? He is. Oh, great. Okay, now here's a stupid film about space. Uh, Armageddon? It's not deep in Armageddon. Okay, great. Okay, that makes that makes somewhat sense. Okay. I don't know what this film is. I have called it out before, however, because I knew that Johnny Depp was in it. Um, it looks like it's in black and white. Um, I'm just gonna read you the... Great. Paragraph. On the run after murdering a man, accountant William Blank encourages a strange North American man named Nobody who prepares him for his journey into the spiritual world. I have no idea what this movie is. Dead Man. Oh, okay. Great. Okay. Uh, and now is, a Coens. Oh, is, Bandit, is Bandits up there? I know it's not the Coens, but is Bandits up there? With Bruce Willis? No. Oh. Okay, and then the man who wasn't there, uh -huh. Santa. Um, this is a western movie. There's a lot of movies above <laughs> Sling Blade. How many more is there? I don't. I don't know if 
I need more. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven more. Just name them. Just name them. Tombstone. Okay. The Judge. Judge and the Judge. Puss in Boots 2011. Oh, great. Intolerable Cruelty. Uh-huh. Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. That gem that a everybody s- remembers. A Simple Plan. Uh-huh. Eagle Eye. What? What? He's an Eagle Eye? And Swing Blade. Oh, great. This was a fun game. <laughs> what have people seen on Letterboxd? <laughs> Billy Bob Thornton Edition. Great, that'll be a new game that we can play. Hey, friends. <laughs> Bad News Bears isn't even up there. Good. Like, but, like, I knew that he was in that film. All right, so today we are here to talk about the Coen brothers. And the Coens are, as Kylie said, they're my boys. I'll fully, I'll, I'll, I'll claim them as. Oh, as I only watched the there. Ethan films. I'm sorry. Oh, you just watched like one movie. <laughs> I just watched that small chapter of Jutem that they they did. Yeah, that's all I watched. Yeah. Great, perfect. Yeah, love it. Yeah, cause like at first I just clicked on Ethan's name, not Joel's name, and there's no, there's like six movies there, and I was like, it's not that little. Yeah. And then like, yeah, I was like, oh, gotta click on Joel, and they're yeah, all there. Yeah, it's the weird directing thing where they weren't allowed to be credited as co-directors until The Lady Killers, but they were basically always co-directors. Um. So why did Joel get all the fame? So Joel is the director... Okay. Credited as the director, well, and Ethan is credited as the producer, and they're both credited as the writer, and they're both credited as the editor under a pseudonym as long as the pseudonym is Roderick James. They should switch every film. Oh, they should. <laughs> I think it was just mostly guilds and mostly like union stuff, and one of them had to be a producer, and one of them had to be a director, technically. Doesn't like one of them have a film degree? Yes, Joel. Okay, well, maybe that's why. Yeah. We'll be taken seriously if the <laughs> college boys got the degree. I mean, Ethan has a degree. It's just in philosophy. I thought it was psychology. Yep, it is. Sorry. <laughs> it's in psychology. So, yeah. Lots of folks have that. Well, you know, not all of them get to be filmmakers. Um, Took him a while, too. Yeah, really, it did. So... We've done Spielberg, and Spielberg's probably like my second guy. Mm-hmm. These are like my guys. Okay. So we did a poll on Facebook. And we did Wes Anderson, who's we also did Wes one Anderson. of your guys. Yeah, he's not in my top ten maybe anymore, though, but oh. yes. And then we're going to do Danny Boyle, and then... <laughs> Just in time for yesterday. And then we did the Coen Brothers. Um, so... When we were doing Spielberg, uh-huh. we did a big three-part episode where we literally just went film by film by film by film. And it was great. I thought it was good. I thought that I know for me what ended up happening was I felt like some of the chunks, and I'll just speak for me, got repetitive because it was like you do an intro to a movie, you do you do the setup, you try to tell what it is, you try to say your opinion. And then you move on from the movie. Ba ba da ba da ba da over and over and over and over again. And so not that that was bad by any means. I was just thinking that maybe there could be a, a format that would work a little bit differently. And so that we do we have watched all the Coen Brothers films and we have them ranked. And so at some point we can definitely give our rankings. I think it should be a secret. Ooh, well, I think that people should have to search it out on their own. Ooh, go to the, go to Letterbox. Yeah. There you go. Be like my new best friend. 
Yeah. <laughs> Do you think your new best friend listens? I really hope not. <laughs> um. So, what I thought was, what if we did, like, categories? And these categories would help us talk about actors and moments and things in the films that we really enjoyed or struggled with or wanted to talk about in some way, shape, or form. And that way we could do nominations, and then we could do a winner, and then we could talk about all of those things um, within that. And so this episode is our awards, so to speak. So we have some categories here. Are we recording? We are. That's good. We have some categories, uh, which are best dramatic performance, best comedic performance, best dramatic supporting performance, best comedic supporting performance, the what is happening moment. And then I was like, Kylie, what's one more topic? And she said, Josh, why don't you just go on a rant for your last topic? And then I tried to throw out other topic ideas, and somehow we just ended up on the, on a rant. So so eventually, I'm going to talk to you guys about, like, not only why I love the Coen brothers, but, like, what I think that the Coens represent in film, and how their films are, and why they're unique in their place in film history. And all of those things. So that's going to come soon. But, Kylie, before I get too far into that, you said you possibly had another category that could be an inquiry of the half-fortnight, half-squared fortnight. Yeah, let's do it next time. But 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 I had one for that one. Which what is it? It was just like, what's your favorite Coen Brothers movie? Oh, yeah, that's stupid. Well, listen, we're gonna, there's, there's, a lot, there's lots of content. I don't know. I'm okay. going to figure it out. I'll okay. do a better one. You'll do a better one? Yeah. Okay. So, Josh. Yeah. They've been nominated, their movies have been nominated for lots of things. Yes. Then they lose a lot. Yes. More often than not. Except for with No Country. <laughs> so Josh, my question. Uh-huh. What is a film, what is a nomination that one of their films, or actors, or whatnots, was nominated that they should have won? So they have to have already been <clears throat> nominated for it. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, we're not gonna like be like, oh, we should have nominated this and it should have won. All right, I gotta, I gotta do some research to try to figure out what. No, you gotta do it off the dome. Well, I don't know what has been nominated. <laughs> All like, of them, Josh. I mean, as I have to do a lot of research. <laughs> I know the film that I already want to go to because I'm pretty sure it has a lot of nominations and zero wins. Ooh, interesting. Do you do you have an answer for this? Well, yeah, it's easy. Okay, what's your answer? It's an easy one. Fargo should have won Best Picture. Fargo should have won Best Picture. I'm just going to read you what won. And I'm gonna... <laughs> oh, we have to go with like... I wanna, I'll name everything that was nominated that didn't win. And okay. then we'll talk about the winner and why Fargo should have won. Okay, so we got Shine. Uh, I don't know what that is. Shine? I vaguely know what Shine is. Okay, Secrets and Lies. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and that's, a, that's a Mike Lee film I'm... Fairly certain. Let's find out. Yeah, good job. Woo! Burr, 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 burr. We got Jerry Maguire. Show me the money. That's that's <laughs> the only one that's remembered culturally in any sense. Fargo. Shine is somewhat remembered. It was no, this it's weird, not, Josh. It was this weird it's Jeffrey a, Rush it's picture. It's about a mental breakdown of some artist, some musician. We've yeah. seen that. Yeah. It's called TMZ. <laughs> Yeah, but Jeffrey Chippa Rush. Chippa. So, what won, Josh? What won in 1996? Um, the good old 
English patient. And the English the snooze the go to sleepy times patient. <laughs> that, that's the official title. The die already patient. Uh huh. Yes. The English patient. Yeah. <laughs> Which like sleep times. I mean, listen. I gotta give it a watch. I gotta however, see, I gotta see how it is. However, it won't Fargo, be better than Fargo. Fargo, in this isn't an insult. In the same kind of vein of something that like Titanic, the following year is can, is liked by critics and also uh, the general public. But no one likes the English Patient. Yeah. Sleepy times. <laughs> What film were you thinking had a lot of nominations? Okay, so I will go with this one because... So, the two films that I looked up while we were doing that was Barton Fink, which only has three nominations. And I don't... Like, though I want to give Barton Fink all the awards and all the land, um, it's... I don't think any of those three I, like, I'm going to go to bat for, um, <laughs> so to speak. But... Will you go Tommy Gun for? Oh, I might. <laughs> Burning just, Hotel Town? Just like, let's break out Danny Boy. <laughs> I'm gonna have Danny Boy on like, just like a loop as I just walk around town just in case anything ever happens. What's up, okay, Josh? so the film that I that I was uh, that I will go to bat more for is A Serious Man, and I thought A Serious Man had more nominations. Oh, no one cares about Serious Man. Than it's what just it did. us. No, but here's the thing. One of the reason I thought it had more nominations is because one of them is for Best Picture, mm-hmm. um, and so this is the year that the Hurt Locker ends up beating Avatar. This is this is Cameron versus Bigelow, the ex-wife and the ex-husband. Ba-na-na, ba-na-na. So you're saying it should have beat it over Up? Over Up? Yeah. See, this is this is why I'm not saying for best picture. <laughs> okay, that's that's what like, I that's what I thought. Get back down in that. I'm hole. not saying best picture. I was just setting the scene <laughs> as to what uh, year that we're in. What I am gonna say is that its other nomination is for original screenplay, and I want to give it screenplay because I think that there is so much wrapped up in a serious man. That the Cohen that represent who the Cohens are, but also that represent what we as a nation, I think, struggle with in terms of religion and struggle with in terms of how we relate to our belief system in this world and what it what that means to question and challenge it. And I think it's a really heavy issue. And not that the Hurt Locker, which ends up winning, is a bad script per se, but I think that if I were looking at those two films that I would even say that The Hurt Locker is is a good script that's made great by its filmmaking, and A Serious Man is a great script that's made better by its filmmaking. And so, like, it's it's just, it's coming at it from a different angle. So why is its uh, screenplay better than Up? Because Up, listen, I love Up, but this is a weird nomination for Up. <laughs> like, I don't know why it's an original screenplay this year. Uh, not that Up is bad, but if I'm being honest, like, Up's a film that I love, but outside of the first ten minutes, it's not miraculous. It's good. Those first ten minutes are miraculous. It's a weird film. But then beyond My that... My opinion is it's a weird film. But then beyond... After, yeah. No, after the short. I agree with you on that. And therefore, it, it, it doesn't quite... Like, I, I don't... I'm glad that Up is here. Don't get me wrong. I think Up is a great film, but... It, it, to me, I would give it to a serious man. Well, friends, 
Well, friends, if you want to answer my awesome question that I didn't want to make into a category because I realized I'd have to do a lot of work, you can do so <laughs> at friendofafriendpodcast.squarespace.com. You can agree with me because my answer is right. Josh's answer is pretty good, too. Okay, great. None of those... I mean, like, A Serious Man is the best film within those things that were nominated, I agree. And it should win every award. Michael Stuhlberg probably should have been nominated, but that's not what this one's about. Yeah. A Serious Man feels like it's nominated for Best Picture just because, like... Hey, we gave those Cohen guys one in 2007. No, it's because it's like, how oh, we got to fill in 10? Did the Coens make something? <laughs> oh, thank goodness the Coens did something. Shove it on in there. Uh, who's this Stuhlbarg guy? Nobody cares. Just get it in there. That's what I feel happened. Yeah. Right? I mean, this is... Oh, we got to do five for the writing? Did Co- oh, thank goodness. The Coen brothers wrote something. Let's get it. Oh, Buster Scruggs got a nomination for Best Adapted Screenplay, and I'm over here just like, it's because what is happening, people? Listen, some of those shorts are better than others. Some of those shorts are better than others. I agree, Josh. <laughs> that two-hour movie took me three hours to get through. Man, Joel has four wins. Can I guess? Uh, yeah. Best picture. Uh-huh. Best director for um, No Country. Gotta get there. Okay, you got picture and director for, for no, no Country. Country. Did they win a screenplay for No Country? Adapted for No Country. And they have one other Fargo. win that's not there. Yeah, but what is it for, though? Adapt or Original screenplay. Listen, listen, I'm a smarty pants. Because the history of the Oscars is not necessarily littered with Coen Brothers films as much as you think that it would be. Mm -hmm. Because it's Fargo, and then it's... Oh, Brother gets a nomination for... for like, score? Screenplay. Screenplay, sorry. I'm so sorry. Nothing Till No Country. Mm -hmm. A Serious Man with its blip. Um, Hail Caesar has, like, a pity nomination. Hail Caesar does not have a pity nom. Oh my gosh. It's um it is their highest grossing one of their highest grossing films also. Oh, True Grit. Sorry. True Grit. True I Grit's thought you were telling three. I thought you were telling me that Hail Caesar was no, one of No, I'm not. It's And one I was of literally just looking at yeah. you and I was like, that was a February release, yeah. Josh. It was me and a bunch of old people in the theater. So, and then their only other nomination outside of the Buster Scruggs screenplay one, and this is just Joel. So if they're, you know, um, is for writing for Bridge of Spies. Not Unbroken? The, no, not Unbroken. <laughs> or Toy Story the original. Really? Joel. Yeah. Joss Whedon also. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah. uh, so they don't, the Oscars don't have a ton of history for the Coen. Which is really strange, because like, in film society? Yes. Culture? I just hear their names a lot. I don't know if I actually hear their names, or if it's you. I think that you hear it a lot. I think that that's not because when I was some of our lists, if I want to go listen to some, do some research of other podcasts, some movies are harder to find than others. There was zero issue for me finding material to listen to or read about for the Coen Brothers. Yeah, I brought you a book. You did. This is a good book. The book really ties the films together. Books really ties the films together. (laughs) Um, It was funny when I first when you first got me this book I was listening to a podcast with the author on it and I was like oh, was man. it blank check no cause like I figured I found out about this book because it was like 
their li- it was at the end of their episode and it was a plug mm-hmm. for this book and I was literally like oh great and then I bought it and then I told Anne if you let Josh buy this book I might cut you yeah it was good <laughs> you said to me or somebody said to me that it was a gift that I would love that I probably wouldn't buy for myself and that's a true story so anyway, I was doing an author a book a podcast with the author when I was like, oh, this book. It was just a two and two moment. Um, so Cohen's. Uh, Can I leave now, <laughs> friends? If you want to answer the inquiry of the Fortnite, I already Fortnite, did this. I already did Did you it. do the content information? Yeah. Oh, great. You didn't, no, I, you didn't. I think I did. No, you didn't. No, I did. I you did. can find I us at front of a friend podcast. I'll just copy it from another episode and push, place it in. You can I'm also great. find us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. Uh, you can also hit that subscribe button. I don't know. It's something bleak. <laughs> and uh I'm a <laughs> that helps us get more subscribers somehow this is the worst one of these we've ever done you can also find us at friend with friend podcast and now on with the show all right so kylie asked me to, to do a category that was called josh rants so i'm gonna tell you that my initial what's gonna what is going to be the overarching theme that i talk about is how the Coen's true thing that they're they're exploring and examining in the world is um, basically the meaninglessness of existence. And this is the idea and thought process that they kind of put all of their films through. And they kind of see things through this way. Now, I have some other thoughts and ideas and plots that I was thinking about talking about, so I want to do my honorable mentions on topics that I could rant upon that I did not rant upon. Um, but they, I think there are lots of issues and things in here, and so, uh, Kylie, as I go through them, I just want to hear if you have any thoughts on these ideas or topics. So uh, the first one that I thought I could maybe talk about in rant is the different kind of, like, periods of Cohen films, meaning that like I think they kind of break down into three. They have an early period, a middle period, and a late period. And they kind of like to play with genre in each of these periods. And then in their late period, they kind of are like, yeah, we're just going to mix it all together. It's going to be fine. I think I would break them probably... Like, early to me goes, I would say, until... Are you going to come out of conversation or are you going to lasso my cat? What are you doing over there? What are you doing, Hopi Doyle? What if it were so simple? I would say the early period goes up until um, through... Man, I need to get my ears right before I mess this up. You had all this time to prepare! I know, I'm so sorry. Okay, I would say their early period goes through the Hudsucker Proxy, which is their first five films. Their middle period, which consists of some their highest of highs in some ways and also their lowest of lows. And that's going to be from about 96 to mm, 04, and that's Fargo, Big Lebowski, O Brother Where Art Thou, and then The Man Who Wasn't There, and Talbot Cruelty, and The Lady Killers. And the reason I actually put those all six together is because I think that they're actually doing some really similar things in that area. And then their end period, or their late period so far, I think goes from 2007 forward. Um, 
And that's where they're just kind of taking genre, but they're also mixing in other elements with it. So they're just kind of making very uniquely them films. They're not making comedies, they're not making dramas, they're just making films that happen to be there. I'd be interested to see if Buster Scruggs starts a new period for them or what happens there. This feels like a transition film in some ways, but yeah. So that was my first possible thought. Do you have any, uh, any opinions on... The eras of Coen Brothers films. Yeah, we shouldn't have another Coen Brothers film until 2022. Why? 2021, you're right, sorry. Why? Three years. <laughs> I don't think there's one really on the docket. Good. There is. Yeah, there's Joel has a solo project. <gasps> yeah. The band's breaking up? I don't know what's happening, but Joel's got a solo project, and it's an adaptation of Macbeth. Starring Denzel Washington. Yeah, and Frances McDormand. Yeah. Where's Ethan? I don't know. I, I got worried. Where's Ethan? I'm worried. What's Ethan doing? I don't know what Ethan's doing. Three years! You don't get to make another film for three years, boys. You're done. I'm cutting you off. Yeah, so Joel's like, fine, I'll do it by myself. No, they're, they're neither of them are allowed. I feel like we may be entering into a period where they may need to reinvent themselves again because I think that after this period of the man who wasn't there and Talbot Cruelty and the Lady Killers, they had to reinvent what they did and how they made movies because what they were doing was just starting to feel a little bit tired. And they, they I think, were starting to become imitators of themselves. Like, they took... They basically took three films to be like, we're going to go the Tim Burton's route and we're going to imitate ourselves. Where, and then they were like, no, oh, no, hang on. We want to be actual filmmakers. And they reinvented themselves. Yes, that was some sick shade on Tim Burton. Listen, my statement stands. All right. Uh, my second thing is, is that their movies are kind of like puzzles, but they're like frustrating puzzles because you'll never be able to fully put them together. What do you feel about that statement? If I told you that, that they're like frustrating puzzles. That you'll never be able to put together? Yeah. I mean, some of them you can put together, or at least you have your own interpretation of putting it together. Correct, but and like... it may not be their interpretation of putting it together, but you know, if the puzzle pieces fit, you know... And that's 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 great. I think that's really true, because that, I think, is what they would want. Just because I don't understand anything that's happening in any of these films doesn't mean anything. Okay, I thought that uh, another interesting side topic could be we could talk about Carter Burwell, who does their scores, or most of their scores. All and, except for Old Brother Where Art Thou. And, and another. Um, <laughs> Buster. No. Um, Lewin Davis. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's so sad. Yeah. It's the ones where they worked more heavily with T-Bone Burnett. Uh, uh, so Carter Burwell and Roger Deakins, who does a lot of their films moving forward as well. So they originally had their cinematography of Barry Sonnenfeld, but when he kind of goes off to be a director of his own, they moved to Roger Deakins, and I think the Roger Deakins really helps construct the look of a Coen Brothers film and the feel of a Coen Brothers film. Um, and he has done most of their films since uh, he took over with them after Burwell left. Um, I think his first film with them is... Um, Hudsucker, but he since then has done everything except for True Grit and Buster Shrugs. So he's like, I don't need your westerns. You go off with others. Um, another thing that I just wanted to bring up, just because I was like, ooh, this is a thing for me. I think I want to dig a little bit into 
why the Coen brothers are my favorite filmmakers and what is there. I do that in my in, in that my other thing as well, but I noticed that in their references, they reference and they appreciate classic noir film and classic Hollywood film. And meaning, math and science. And math and science. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> they yes. agree that those are things we should think about. Yes. Like, yeah. They bring it up in, like, the randomest things and, like... Like in a bad movie, like when they're like the uncertainty. But it's like it's like escape room uh-huh. when they bring up the uncertainty principle. Yeah, and I lean over and I say, "This will be important later." <laughs> <laughs> and it's like really on the nose, but then like the Coen Brothers do it, and you're like, "What are you saying?" <laughs> you're like, "Why are you referencing well, it?" But well, why? Why you? Okay, uh, so yes, I agree, my, 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 I agree with you. I agree with you. My name is Kylie, and this has been my TED Talk. <laughs> they also, and I think for me, I also appreciate uh, classic era, meaning 30s to 50s Hollywood and classic noir. That's a that's a film era that I love to go back to, and so I think for me, that's why the Coens' referential style and what they're referencing and who they're referencing and all their 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 eras really work for me. Unlike somebody. Man, I don't mean to just keep throwing Tim Burton under the bus, but unlike somebody like Tim Burton, whose like touchstone point is like B movie schlock, and he loves to make B movie schlock come to life, and I'm like, great, you that's good for you, buddy, but like I don't always need that in my life. Whereas the Coens, I think, just for me personally, are referencing things that I could just sit and watch all the time. My last little thing that was not a topic that I was going to rant on, just my last little like honorable mention here. I was noticing throughout the film. And I don't necessarily know what they're trying to say. But I noticed that out they had a way of bringing marginalized people to their films in either supporting or major roles. And that can be represented in the fact that, as Kylie and I have talked about, there is a lot of Jewish representation in their film and it's not necessarily outside of a serious man a topic of focus it's just there are jewish people in their films and in their worlds they didn't forget they existed they didn't forget they existed i've seen new york movies <laughs> they don't even acknowledge that jewish people may exist the other category that they tend to do this with and you can definitely knock the coen brothers for not being the most diverse casters in all the land um, the other thing that they do this with, which I found interesting this time through, was they have a lot of homosexual undertones in their movies. And there are characters and storylines that are, that are referenced as character motivations, but they're never the main plot point of a film, except for specifically in Miller's Crossing, but there it's really an undertone. So Miller's Crossing is a story of two love triangles. It's the love triangle of um, Gabriel Byrne and Verna, who's played by Marsha Gay Harden, and um, the boss. Um, oh my gosh, who is the boss guy? Tom. Tom? No, Tom is Gabriel Byrne. Um, my brain is dying. Everything. I lost. I lost everything because my All brain right, died. this episode is over. It's not over. Josh missed a single question about this. What? What do you mean I missed a single question? Oh, no, he's done. 
Uh, Albert Finney, who plays the uh, Leo. You the forgot mob Albert boss. Finney? Yeah, I forgot. Shame, 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 shame. Yeah, no, yeah. Well, you couldn't. When I said mob boss, you didn't. You weren't like, oh, Albert Finney. These aren't my favorite people. <laughs> well, you can't shame me. I don't me. know you who Albert Finney you is. You can't shame me. This is like your. These are your guys. You should know everything. You love Albert Finney. I do like Big Albert Finney. Fish. <laughs> okay. I haven't seen that film. So. There is not only that love triangle, but there is also a subtle love triangle in the film, or a subtext love triangle, between Eddie the Dane, Bernie Birnbaum, and the Mink. Um, which is John Turturro as Bernie Birnbaum, Mink as Steve Buscemi, and Eddie is played by... This is not an actor that does a whole lot outside of this film for me. Uh, J.E. Freeman. And so there's this love triangle that that's surfaced beneath here, and it's referenced only in like the vaguest of terms. But we've come to understand that like it is it is that motivation that drives some of those characters. So there's that reference in Miller's Crossing. There is a reference of George Clooney and Ray Fiennes' characters in Hail Caesar that's used as a little bit of a threat throughout that film, as well as the dance sequence between the sailors um, with Channing Tatum. There is, in The Man Who Wasn't There, there is a scene where John Polito makes a pass at Billy Bob Thornton, and that is there, um, and that helps define John Polito's character. And then in A Serious Man, it's mentioned that Larry's brother is probably closeted in that way because he's mentioned to have relationships with men. So I don't know what it all is. something that I haven't had a chance to like really dig into, but it was something that I was noticing that they're just... The, I like that the Coens are not afraid or they're just willing to put forward stories that are could be controversial or stories that would be like the main focus of other film there's no this is just part of the texture of our world which i like because it's the texture of our world as well okay so what is it the thing that i actually wanted to rant about wait you're not done yet no Oh, your time's up. My time is up? Yeah. I didn't get to my actual essay, my, my, my thing here. You haven't even opened your essay yet? No, this, those were my honorable mentions. All right. What, what the heck? <laughs> I tried really hard for you to not just let me rant on things. <laughs> yeah, oh. listeners, I'm so sorry. If, if you are not into uh, me chatting about, about film... Uh, this is this is not the episode, Kelly. Kelly, you have to come back. Why? Because it's a conversation. We gotta. Yeah, I gotta. We're see. not having a conversation. Well, I'm trying. I'm trying to engage with you in this conversation. Gosh, if there's something interesting, I'll come back. Okay. Cause. Okay. okay. Here, I'm gonna tell you who won my awards real quick, and then Josh, you can just. Whoa! What's this? I'm just gonna. Go. No! Stop! No! Okay. Here we go. The take, Coens. Take your time. Okay. Don't yell. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is, this is... You're acting like I was across the room. I was five feet away. Listen, it's for the comedic bit, okay? All right. So I want to say that, that the Coens... I just want to wrap up into one kind of thing here. That I think what their films 
are all about in some way, shape, or form are existence. And it's examining of its meaning and if it has purpose. And so these are filmmakers who, they don't necessarily make the most commercial of films. Uh, some of their films are big hits, most of them are not. They are usually critically well recepted, but they're not anything beyond that. And with that being said, whether a Coen Brothers film works or not is a lot to do with whether or not they they portray their vision clearly enough because they're always in complete control of their film and I think you always feel like they know exactly what they're putting on the screen and they know exactly what they want you to look at and want you to feel. In general, the Coen brothers focus on five kind of overarching themes throughout the course of their films. Those five overarching themes tend to be God and religion, what it means to be an American, the soul of a person, the existence and purpose, the existence and all of its purpose that it has for us, and then morality and the morality of a person, and that's usually explored through money or the power that money has over a person. And these are the themes that you're going to see over and over and over and over again represented in Cohen films. And there's sometimes a cross of them. It's not mutually exclusive. Sometimes they're dealing very exclusively with one. Sometimes they're not. Which means that their films always add up to being more than just what the plot is about. And I think that's something that's really that I glom onto with these films is because it's not necessarily about the A to B to C to D. It's about what that says about the people that are in the situation. They will always try and take an overarching societal question or issue or thought and weave it into the tapestry of their film. Um, diving a little bit deeper into some of their their films, I want to start talking not necessarily about the existential elements of their films, but the structural elements of their films. So in a Coen Brothers film, you're more than likely going to find that there is a criminal plot in some way, shape, or form. And this criminal plot usually fails, either tragically, comedically, or sometimes both. Like, this is just going to happen. Uh, these crimes and actions are often tied to the moral, ethical, and philosophical question that the Coens are trying to examine in there. And so they're going to take this person, and this person is usually a quote-unquote everyman, or a, or a regular kind of Joe kind of person. And then they're going to be thrust into this kind of bonkers situation. What, what is... Josh, okay. you're, you're All right. only in your right. essay. Okay. Uh, we're not wasting time here. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know if you had something to add, and then you were... No. Okay. <laughs> No, I'm listening. I'm listening. Uh, so within this crime, someone will usually be punished for the crime, even if it's not necessarily the person committing the crime that has to be punished. The Coens will say in their films that a price must be paid for your moral actions, but you might not be the person who the consequences befall because of a couple reasons. One, for you to learn a moralistic lesson it might not be of the best consequence to punish you. Two, and this is kind of the next point, there's always a sense of randomness in the Cohen's world. They, actions tend to happen, but they never, 
like when you watch a film for the second or third or fourth time, you realize that everything's happening for a reason. But on first watch and on initial read through, and when you're looking through the character's point of view, there is a sense of randomness that things are just happening to these people, and there's no real rhyme or reason to it. And that again mirrors how in our life we try to find sense and meaning and belief to why everything happens in this world. We talk about fate, we talk about destiny. But is any of that ever existing, or is that just say, things that we make up in our brains to make sure that we feel a little better about ourselves, to give ourselves some sense of purpose or drive? And so they're gonna, they present the sense of randomness in order to help uh, illuminate their point of view that like existence is that, it's existence, it's random. And while there are consequences for your actions, you might not always pay those consequences. Um, I love that that in a world where their worlds can feel big, random, and scary, and I think that mirrors our world. And they do that by creating not only monstrous, over-the-top characters, they do that by not only how they set up their shots in their films and the story, but about this about giving you that feeling and that's why for me in worlds that are nice and big and broad and full of these crazy characters they always somewhat feel grounded a next element of the script that is almost always there is the protagonist's main antagonist is almost always themselves even though that there is a villain or an obstacle that they have to overcome the most difficult path the most difficult issue will lie within within the main character they usually present their, their leads as an everyman, so to speak, or, a, or just a regular person. Who sucks. Who can suck at times. Yeah, they're just like, you were like, their character, their main characters don't feel impressive. And I was like, because they're losers. <laughs> and I, that's very intentional. They, they then proceed to ask the audience this question of, how are you like this person? I'm not. I'm how than would all of these you, characters. How would you handle it, the life if you were in this bunker situation? And can you find empathy or sympathy for your fellow man? And those are the, some of the moralistic questions that they will ask you within their, their, their scripts. Now, the last little bit of their kind of just structure of their film that I want to talk about here before we dive a little bit deeper into some of their more existential themes is... They make you feel like you're a part of the conversation. They're not, you're not necessarily a viewer. And this is where somebody like Roger Deakins comes in. Because what they do is, very rarely are you going, in a Coen Brothers film, are you going to see a type of shot that's called an over-the-shoulder type of shot. And an over-the-shoulder shot is exactly what it sounds like. There's two people having a conversation, and in the bottom corner of the frame, on either side, you're going to see a person's head and shoulder so it gives you almost a voyeuristic feel that you are watching a conversation happen and this is a very standard shot that's happened in, mo in a lot of films it's just called as a simple over the shoulder shot what the Coens will do instead now they do use over the shoulder shots because there is time very specifically when they want you to be voyeuristic almost in what you're watching but more often than not something that's very unique about them is they use interior shots they use a thing that's called shot reverse shot and it's a very 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 extremely simple film shooting style and technique that's not necessarily complicated but it's how they use it that's 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 interesting so they'll always put the camera 
in between the two actors, in between the two characters, so that when you're watching a character in frame, not only do you not see the other person, you see what's around them in the frame. You're given a lot to look at and experience while you're having this conversation. And your eyes are usually drawn to wherever it is that they want you to be looking, a person, a thing, an object, an item. But what it does is it puts you in the middle of the conversation. So every time it cuts back and forth, it makes you feel like you are the other person in this conversation. It doesn't make you an other, it makes you an active part of the conversation. And the Coens want you to be an active part of this conversation because they're not gonna spoon feed you their ideas. They're gonna ask you to engage with the film. And therefore, they're gonna they kind of shoot this much more simplistic way. They find this beauty in the simplicity because their films and ideas and their visual language and their actual language is more complex than just kind of what their basic shots are. Okay, next section of how we exploring are meaningless is what they're kind of, or the, the exploring the existence in a Coen Brothers film is I want to dive a little bit deeper into some of their themes. And so some of their themes are a strict moralistic code. The Coens have a very strict moralistic center, and yet it's also very unique at the same time. Because it is a world that has rules, but you're never quite sure of what those rules are from film to film. But that you're going to know that the characters know them, and when they break them, they will be punished for them. Sometimes it can feel like you're watching a little bit of like an inside joke that you never quite know the answer to, but you always know that the punchline is somewhere and that the other people are understanding it. Which is frustrating, and that can be a reason why you go back and you dig deeper into something. Their films are concerned with morality, but they're not concerned with justice. Justice doesn't always win, justice isn't always there, justice isn't always achieved. We can't make the world do good for us. We can only hope that our actions are good enough in a world like that in a world that the Coens present. But within that, they want to present this impossible world where it's a, this world that's impossible to earn success, but easy to earn punishment. And that's, just, that's the kind of moralistic code that they're presenting, and they're presenting that life has these things anyway. We talked a little bit that their worlds are full of randomness, but these randomness also go that are full with monsters. And these monsters are these big, over-the-top, villain-type characters, where life is mysterious, it's uncertain, it's full of consequence. But monsters can escape these crimes because they're monstrous, because they're bigger than us, because they have no remorse for their actions. The everyman, the, the common person, is bound by life's trials. And so it will ask you, can, how can you live your life in the face of this, reali this reality where you are this everyman and the monsters of the world, the things you want to conquer, don't have repercussions for their actions. But we do as people. They also want to do to explore a little bit of this ignorance is bliss idea is happiness ignorance and how fleeting is life like because they have so many characters that are blissfully happy and then what happens when that bliss is shattered or is it shattered in the case of like a Marge Gunderson who just does her job day to day but she lives in this bleak kind of sad world. Um, another thing they talk about is that life is about the journey and it's about embracing it embra embracing it in that way where it's, you don't always get what you want, you get what's given to you. Life is an endless, mis mysterious, kind of uncertain path and we need to walk down it and do we explore, so they ask questions about how do you explore that, what is your, how are you powerful, how are you powerless, 
both of those things just can you go along for the ride and then within that there is good and bad there's tragedy and comedy there is absurdism to our own human existence and this is where our absurdity of life matches the absurdity of their films and it's they're wanting to explore that tragic comic nature within all of that though they can be surprisingly heartfelt movies there is usually comedy there's usually a bit of upbeat side to them their films have a darkness and a and a a, a comedy to them a dark and a light to them they exist side by side life is not binary is, is something that they will say in there whereas their films aren't sentimental in any way shape or form like good old speely babes over there and all of his sentiment that he has which i need to dig down somewhere in my brain and figure out like why my two favorite filmmakers are like the most sentimental person and then two of the least sentimental people and like this somehow makes up my like film oeuvre um ethan cohen on that sentence has a quote that he says he said sometimes he says that our films are our films can be encapsulated sometimes like this look at how horrible these people can be isn't life great and i was like interesting um I think in their later work that they blend these ideas of light and dark together more clearly, whereas in their earlier work it's kind of separate here and there. They talk about how our world, one of the things they talk about is how our world is broad and open, um, and so their films are broad and open. They're going to ask you questions, they, meaning there are lots of big wide shots. There's lots of things in the frame for you to look at. There's uh, this allows the audience to explore a more complex world in more complex ways. They shoot in wide angles, they give you lots of time to see what you're looking at, they hold on frames, they don't just cut away when the action is done. Um, they're gonna tell you as much information as possible in a shot. It's up to you to engage with it. So therefore they're asking you to engage with it. They're asking you to look a little bit deeper on the screen than what you might get on your first watch. They are begging you literally to come back and to critically think about their films, their, their themes, their thoughts, their characters, and their stories. But they're not going to give you an answer either. They're not interested in giving you this answer. They're interested in you coming up with your own answer. Like Kylie mentioned earlier, where like you can put the puzzle together in any way that you want to, as long as the puzzle pieces fit for you, they're good with it. The last little thing that I want to talk about is how they convey all of this. How they convey this. And they do this in their visual language versus their scripted language. And... They do so by having a very clear visual style to each of their films. And they edit them similarly in terms of their pacing and their rhythms. But the worlds they build are very, very different. Their scripts can be dense and full of smart dialogue, but also clever, clever jokes, clever ideas, overcomplicated plots, very complicated crimes. But at the end of the day, they're going to use something that's visual over verbal. They understand show, don't tell in many, many ways. Because you a, a successful movie, Coen's have different successful types of movies. If you look at something like No Country for Old Men, that's a very quiet movie. We're only speaking when we have to. There are long segments of that film, which we don't say anything as compared to something like The Big Lebowski, in which the dude and Walter and all of them are chat, chat, chatty, chatty, chatty all the time, and their world is very different. And so the language that the Coens are using fits the characters, and that's the visual language and the actual verbal English language that they're using on the page. 
Um, they are great writers. I will say they can get lost in their own plots at times. Sometimes they're too concerned with how point A to point P to point P to point B to point C to point D that we get. But they're always there to explore the ideas and the themes. Their visual language is consistent. Um, something they add to their visual style is that they are... They, they reference a lot of cultural ideas and thoughts. And so whether it be things they grow up reading or listening to or watching, they try to put those in the films and they challenge you to engage with this entertainment in this way where they're not saying, I want you to know these references. It's not reference the reference palooza of Ready Player Fun. It is, no, these are things that influence us and we want to put them here. I think one of the best ways that I can encapsulate their visual language and their visual style is in spoiler... We're going to spoil all these films, FYI. If you're not here, you haven't figured that out yet, but we're going to spoil them all. Um, in, in No Country for Old Men, the fate of Carla Jean. Carla Jean is um, Llewellyn, Lewin Moss's uh, wife, Lewin Moss's Josh Brolin. She dead. She dead. We all know it. We know that she's... Though we don't see her death on screen. That's apparent. Do you... So the Coens actually answer this question for you. Do you know how? Well, they, he, rub, he, like, wipes his feet. Because, like, after he kills people, he always makes sure he doesn't get blood on his shoes. Yeah. He does it throughout the entire film. And yeah. so, like, when you see him do it, you're like, oh, she's dead. Yeah. And so it's nothing that's said out loud. There's no line of dialogue in there anywhere that's like... That man loves his boots. Never gonna get blood on them. We just know because we see him do it several times. He'll move his boots away from a bloody situation. The most obvious one being right after he kills Woody Harrelson and the blood is moving towards him, he leans back in his chair and puts his boots up on the bed. And that means that it's showing his comfort in like what he just did and how he feels about it, but it's also moving those boots away. It's his visual cue. So the meaning of existence in our world is so, kind of what the Coens are interested in exploring. So you got six minutes left in your 40 minutes. I have six minutes left in my 40 minutes? Yes. I think I'm good. I think we can use those six minutes other places. I guess I guess with Spielberg, I was just kind of going. Uh-huh. This I, this, I had my thoughts organized. No, you had, you had... You had a mock-up for your Spielberg stuff. Did I? Okay. Yep, you were right. like, point number 20. <laughs> Uh, listeners, thank you for still being here. If you're still here, I know I'm that not. sometimes that I can get ranty. Oh, I just Josh, I, I really wanted you to it. have this so that you didn't have to lean on me for much. All right, Josh. Okay, best dramatic actor performer. Okay. Um. Why don't what, what do Why don't you start? Because my computer is being weird right now, and I need to get to Excel. All right. Um. I don't know who to pick here. You can you can start by giving your nominations and then pick a winner. Yeah, I don't really like. <laughs> I will say it's interesting to start with best dramatic performance. Oh, okay, you're right. Let's start with what's happening. Okay, great. We can start with what's happening. Josh, I understand the angel and the Hudsucker proxy, but also by that point in the film, I didn't care anymore. Oh, sad. I. <laughs> Barton Fink. There's the hotel burning. Although I'm pretty sure that his head is in the box. The Ballad of Buster Scrubs. That whole last mm, piece. This is weird. A few things that they're talking about. <laughs> I, get, I know that they're all dead and stuff, but like, why? <laughs> this, this is what my computer's doing. Yeah, this is what happens. <laughs> like... This is what happens when you make lists on every freaking thing and you keep them. Uh, and then, like, the what did we learn scene in Burn After Reading. <laughs> I love that scene. What, what did we learn? <laughs> 
Do you have a Do you have a winner? Probably the angel. I get that. Like he was like, you should have sent taken my letter up to the guy, the day I died. But I'm like, no, Tim Robbins should not get a second chance. He didn't deliver like he, the letter like he was supposed to. It was his one job. He deserves everything that happened to him. Maybe not, like, jumping off the building, but, like, he had one literal job, and did he do it? Was he competent enough to do that one literal thing and hand the letter over to the guy? No, he was too busy catching on fire. <laughs> yeah, he was giving the world that everything it needed. The hula hoop. Oh, great. It's for kids. And that's that's my TED Talk. <laughs> Why is there magic in this film? What are the clock makers? <laughs> What is happening? The Hudsucker is a film that I love. I really like Hudsucker. Um, but it isn't the cleanest of their metaphors, and it isn't the clearest. I also, when this decides to load, also have this moment on my what is happening right now because it does seem like the one that's the most not most, but it does seem very out of left field. Um, in terms of, ooh, I was not expecting this movie to go here and to do this. Because, though it's a heightened world, we haven't necessarily been introduced to any sort of magic realism or magic elements. No, we're introduced at the beginning. The stupid newspaper follows him. Oh, yeah. And it, like, circles itself. Like, hey, hey, this is the job that you want. No, m magic was there the whole time, Oh, I'm Josh. so sorry. My bad. Yeah, you weren't paying attention like I was. And thinking, is there magic in this film? All right. Is he a wizard? He is. Maybe he is a wizard. Who there's knows? no wind and the newspaper's still flying. I mean, you don't know there's not wind. Maybe Sam Raimi was off there being like... Whoosh. You can look at people's hair and no wind. They're not as, they're not as careful as all the time. <laughs> okay. Um, my what is happening moment... Um, oh, just so you know, Kylie and I talked a little bit and I think Kylie also did this... Um, I won't tell you which one of my categories uh, cheats our, our little rule proviso, quid pro quo here. One of my categories does. Um, but basically, we want to try, light in the, try to highlight in these, these categories maybe films or moments that we are not going to talk about in our top five. Um, and so, in general, if there are some kind of obvious ones, I'm going to name them as like honorable mentions to the categories, but they may not be in the category uh, per se itself. So, um, that being said, um, to, uh, my kind of, like, honorably mentiony thing, which we'll talk about later, is, um, the opening scene to A Serious Man? I still don't know if I completely grapple with what's happening. I mean, I got it, like, I'm there, but, like, that's, that's a lot to deal with in a lot of ways. Yes. It's, it's, it's like a proverb. Yeah, it, it is like a proverb. That's, but how, like, it, that's how it's starting. It's just one of them old Jewish just proverbs. Just one of those old Jewish proverbs. About the woman who thought that the rabbi could be a dibbick. Do you know that in the credits, it's it's credited as dibbick question, question mark? mark? Yeah. Love it. Hey, he's a dibbick. Yeah, oh and yeah. Let me tell you all why. Okay. The woman pays attention. <laughs> but then it's <laughs> one of those things where then you're interested in this idea of like a little bit of... I'm using this biblically so it's not a swear word. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So don't invite a divic into your house. But then you're not inviting a needy old man into your house. And that is also... Ah, he's fine. You don't know that. He's the rabbi. 
rabbi. You, so then you're not inviting the rabbi into the oh, house. It's better to stab the rabbi with an ice pick. You're right. No, that's why I'm saying that's why you're in one of those situations where it's a no-win situation. Well, if he's really the rabbi, someone else will take you care of him. You are literally damned if you do and damned if you don't. No, <laughs> like, no they're fine. Yeah, okay. Listen. They don't invite him in. I mean, he'll probably be like, well, they have a reason. Um, and he's not a dimmick. <laughs> I've got, uh, also in my honorable mentions, uh, the fire hallway sequence. Uh, the, I'll show you the life of the mind. That one took me a long time to wrap my head around of what's actually happening. He's dead. But... He dies. <laughs> the night that the lady died, he's also dead. Let okay. me tell you, Barton right. Fink is a superhero film, <laughs> as this man is motivated by this woman's death to do something. We put a woman in a refrigerator it's not even a superhero time. There you go. We did it, everyone. Um. No, he, and he's dead and it's his head in the box and he's in hell. And because, like, he, like, finally thinks that he's written his best piece of writing but no one will take it seriously and isn't that a writer's real hell? Well, yes. And he's not allowed to leave. Okay, yes. No, that's, all of that's good but, like, this specific hallway scene where, like, Goodman is running down. <laughs> I will show you the life of the mind. Like, why? What? Okay, great. Madman's here. He's <laughs> like, an evil, he's an evil guy. Yeah, Madman months. Um, other scenes that I had in here are the fall, the fall from the building, and the ghost appearing. Um, it's an angel. It's an angel. Sorry, it's an angel. You're he right. A he liar. has a halo. Yes, yes. Uh, Abby and Detective Vassar's final showdown in Blood Simple. That just like that always blows my mind. Just in that sense of. Once she stabs his hand, he's punching through the walls. Makes perfect. <laughs> he's like, oh, no, he just says nothing. It makes sense, but you're like, okay, phew, safe. The hand has been listen, stabbed. It, listen, oh. if he gets the coin flip wrong, Anton Chigurh is gonna have a real <laughs> hard time getting this sucker in the ground. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> All right. So the one that I will say that is the most kind of what the moment for me. And it's I, the last montage of Buster Scruggs. <laughs> the last montage of Buster Scruggs. No, I get that. That makes sense. Oh my gosh, they just They're bounty stuff. hunters. They're they're literally Okay, so they're like they metaphorical won't bounty hunters. Stop talking. But yes, fair. They also sing There's beautifully. Something about I love this, their like, singing. Lady and like the daughter. Okay, so basically the carriage ride is the carriage ride to the afterlife. I get the that. hotel is Why there. Why is they're... this the conversation <laughs> that they're having on their way to hell? Because we've talked about death in every other sense of the thing. We're going to talk about it here, too. Because what else are you going to talk about when you're on the way to hell? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not the masters of the word like the Coen brothers are. <laughs> yeah, but that's the question they're going to ask you when you ask them that question. Oh, man. Is what should they be talking they about then? They would not like to have an interview with me. I was watching an interview with the BFI, and Joel Cohen did not seem to be excited about being interviewed. He's like, whatever, just watch the movies and make it up for yourself. I'd be like, so like, have you, have you seen Harry Potter? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so like, I feel like they what would are be your thoughts on Mean Girls. Like, how would you improve it? I feel like they would be one of those filmmakers that are like, yeah, I'd love to talk about other people's movies. <laughs> That's, we're tired of talking about our own. Do you, Jewel? Yeah, we do. Be a great Do you jewel? What? <laughs> Are you a scumbum? <laughs> Have you seen Chud? <laughs> What's your favorite horror movie? Uh, Snifty New York's not a horror movie. <laughs> yeah, but maybe. Alright, so my actual answer for... Why isn't Keanu in 
every single one of your films. Uh, great question. Keanu needs to be in a Cohen movie. Thank you. Please and thank you. Is the end of No Country for Old Men. So when I saw the last scene of No Country for Old when Men. When he's like hobbling away. No. The actual end of this movie is. Oh, it's Tommy Lee Tommy Jones. Tommy Lee Jones, Ed Tom, Sheriff Ed Tom Bell. Sitting at his kitchen table, discussing his dreams with his wife about his daddy. And so, watching this movie for the first time in theaters, I'm like geared up. I'm like, okay, we're gonna talk about these dreams, and then we're gonna go, like, something's gonna happen. Like, it's not just him hobbling. Like, and then the movie just ends, cut, dead, done, over. No Country for Old Men. No Country for Old Tommy Men. Tommy Lee Jones failed, and now all he has yeah. left are his memories of his father to haunt him. So, like, I get that. I get that <laughs> now, but when I'm watching this movie for the first time, it just hits me like a ton of bricks. Like, what did I just watch? How is this the end of this movie? See, I like, finished it, and I was like, there's no oil rigs in this film. <laughs> You're like... Nobody. I thought there was a milkshake line. Nobody <laughs> taught me how to drink a milkshake. <laughs> I did not understand the difference between these two films for a very long time. Do you understand the difference to them now? Yeah. yeah. One of them's got Paul Dano in. I just like like Anton Sugar and the guy in No Country for Old Men. They just remind me of the same exact person. <laughs> Both. You're not wrong. <laughs> so like and like they've got dark hair, and so I just see them as the same person. Love it. <laughs> I'm so, Daniel Plainfield, I think is the guy's name. Plainview. Ah! Ah! <laughs> Come Sorry. I'm sorry I yelled, everyone. You're okay. Okay, that, those, those are my thoughts. <laughs> Alright. Um, well, you know, like, Josh, sometimes sometimes you just don't get your man. I thought it was a great ending. Yeah. Like, yeah. Bad people are always going to be out there, Tommy Lee Jones. No, I don't think it's a bad ending He's, by any means. Was a, I, it was you just, were shook? Yeah, I was shook are yeah. kind of the best words for Josh, it. Josh, when I saw Tommy Lee Jones, I thought he ain't going to get his guy. <laughs> He's old. Name of the time. This name. is no country for old men. Yeah, name of the film. <laughs> All right, Josh. Which which one of these acting categories do you want to go with Best first? Best comedic supporting. Okay. My honorable mentions are Jonathan Goodman for The Big Lebowski, William H. Macy for The Fargo, Brad Pitt for The Burn After the Reading, Holly Hunter for The Raising Arizona, and Alden Ehrenreich for The Hail Caesar. And of course, Josh... Uh-huh. Who's my answer going to be? Is it... Is it... Is it... Is it... No, it's not. Oh, is it... It's not Alden. Is it... Is it John Goodman? No. Is it... Is it... Is it... Is it... I don't remember your other nominations. Josh. Josh. Yeah. She got nominated for Broadcast News, but... Oh, it's Holly Hunter. It should have been it's, Holly Hunter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Listen, in this film, both she is... Funny and great and hilarious, but then also you're just like, yes, Holly Hunter, you deserve this child that you stole. <laughs> it's her performance that makes you kind of be like, you know what? Let's go for it. Yeah, I'm on board with these people yeah. stealing a child. I mean, who's not? Let's be real. I, I'm I'm not so on board with John Goodman and other guy steals the child. 
Well, I mean, fair. <laughs> well, they leave him like sixteen times, but like Holly Hunter's just she's such she's got those eyes and like you just fall in love with her every time. She's got a great voice. She does have a great voice. Her stares. I also love that, like, in those kind of initial shots where she's processing him through jail. Uh-huh. She just, it's clearly that she's just sizing him up as, like, are you going to be a good husband and father? Maybe you're the one. Maybe you're the one that I can have this child with. <laughs> uh, it's also what I love about her performance is it's so heartbreaking when she finds out that she can't have children. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just really heartbreaking. Um, and the fact that... One of my favorite sequences of that entire movie is the diaper, the the diaper heist. What I'm trying to steal the diapers, and what she brings to that sequence is just—it's so grounding and it's so funny and it's so. We good. gotta go save Daddy. We got it. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I love her in that movie. She should have gone. Should have won. <laughs> Raising Arizona. All right. Um, my. Honorable mentions are John Goodman, John Goodman, John, <laughs> John Goodman, Goodman, and John, John Goodman. Goodman. Uh, basically, the ones that I ruled out because we'll talk about them in other uh, forms is Fred Melman in A Serious Man, Cy Abelman, man, Cy Abelman for days. I don't understand your love <sighs> of Cy Abelman. Cy Abelman! We'll get there. Uh, Tim Blake Nelson in No Brother Where Art Thou. I love Tim Blake Nelson. He's um, Delmar. Um, my ones that I could consider for here, but just ran out of spots for nominations, are uh, Tony Shalhoub and the man who wasn't there. He's great as that just like lawyer who comes in, like he's like the hotshot lawyer. Monk. Who's... Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he's just monk. But he's like. No, I'm sorry. I don't understand like... actor names. I need. <laughs> I need help, Josh. Yeah. Uh, Paul Newman in the Hudsucker Proxy. He plays the big boss. Is he of... a car? Is he a car? He's a car. Yeah. And salad dressings. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, he's the guy who takes over Hudsucker Industries. As he should. Uh, the hardest one for me to leave off of this was John Malkovich in Burn After Reading. Like, dude, it's so good. It kills me every time. Like, I just, I love him. He's so Quite big. more of a tragic performance. <laughs> um, I find that film more of a tragedy, really. But yet. Um, okay, so my five nominees are... Uh, Holly Hunter in Raising Arizona. They're similar to yours. Um, Holly Hunter in Raising Arizona. Oh my gosh, those weren't your honorable mentions? No, those Josh, were... just get to your stupid honorable mentions. And these are my, no, these are my nominations. <sighs> it's like a, they're awards, Kylie. They're like, they're, okay. You didn't talk enough already? <laughs> um, Brad Pitt in Burn After Reading. The I Got His Number scene is solid. I love I Got His Number. It's perfect. Uh, John Goodman, of course, in The Big Lebowski. Oh, sorry, my other nomination is Brad Pitt's gum and <laughs> headphones and smoothie, which make up 90% of his performance. Uh, it is a great <laughs> performance. You shut your face. I love it. I got his numb. I got his, his dance that he's doing. It's so solid. Um, John Goodman in The Big Lebowski. John Goodman in The Big Lebowski is as Walter is just amazing. Like, I can't, I can't tell you, like, how hard it was for me to not actually give him the actual award. Um, oh, I missed Matt Damon in True Grit. I like Matt Damon in True Grit. Is he comedic? I laugh at that performance. Like, I don't know. Comedic, dramatic, whatever. Yeah. No, we have a whole separate category! Yeah, well, I didn't put him over there. I put him over here. Oh my gosh. Um, because I think he's... This is what I mean by the later... Their later films... 
they're not really comedies or dramas. They just kind of exist and they all have elements in them. And I think that his performance is meant to be a comedic performance. You are laughing at that character. Yeah, I love when he threatens to beat this girl. Well, you're not, like, <laughs> no, you're not supposed to be on his side. That's what I'm saying. It's like, he's I'm laughing at when he says it. <sighs> yes, you can take my words and twist them that way. Like, that's not what I meant. I'm not laughing when he's threatening to beat up a woman. That's not what I'm laughing at by any way, shape, or form. Um, I think that what he is is he's made to be a rube and a fool, and like he's presented as somebody who's like supposed to know what the heck is going on, but he doesn't, and she gets the better of him at every single turn. And so that's the stuff of that character that I laugh at. Um, but my number one is actually Alden Ehrenreich. Um, I, I love Alden Ehrenreich and Hail Caesar. It is... It is a performance that is probably my most recent thing that wins anything, and Hail Caesar is a movie that the more that I watch it, the more I'm really on board with what it's doing and what it's exploring. But to watch Alden Ehrenreich just become like a star in this role where he's playing somebody becoming a star, he's just so good and he's so warm and he's so kind. And that relationship with him and uh, Carlotta Valdez uh, is just like, I just want a whole movie about that. And the Wood Did It Torso Sample scene is probably like, if you had to tell me like what's the funniest Coen Brothers scene, I'd put Wood Did It Torso Sample with him and Lawrence Lorenz, as played by Ray Fiennes. Solid. It's all in there, Rick. Number one. Alright, for the best dramatic supporting performance, I got Carrie Mulligan, Prince Edward Davis, Francis McDormand. For Blood Simple, John Turturro from Rollers Crossing, Javier Bardem for Anton Chigurh, and I gave it to John Turturro because I, I felt like I had to give him something. <laughs> okay. I felt obligated. <laughs> you're like, oh, you're here all the time, fine, take an award. I don't know, I, I, I asked you, will I ever get a John Turturro performance where he's not an awful person? And you're like, maybe. Barton Pink, and then I watched Barton Pink, and I was like, eh, he's a little bit sketchy. He's a little bit sketchy, but he's not the worst. Yeah, we don't need to let anyone know that this woman's dead. We'll hide it all. I mean, we do. We do need to know all of that. Yeah, it's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. Scum. He's scumbum. He's scumbum. <laughs> so, Ben's favorite actor, George <laughs> Turo. Just want John Turturro to play a good person. Okay, I've not seen it in memory. Is he a good person in the Transformers movies? Like, I've seen those. I don't know. I was asking the universe. (laughs) But, like, Miller's Crossing, he's just, like, this flash of color on this, like, Irish film. (laughs) It's just Irishing around and, like, Danny Boy (laughs) and other songs that sound like Danny Boy, which aren't Danny Boy, but they all sound the same. (laughs) He comes around and like you see him and like you're like, ooh, there's a snake in this garden and whenever he's on film you're like very, very invested with what's happening. Because like that film is so dense with all the words and the talky talk and like you gotta pay attention to like everything that's being said, but then like when John Deturo's there, you don't need the words. You just need to look at him as a person to yeah. understand what's happening. Yeah. And then when he's like begging not to die, you're like, Oh my gosh And then you're like you're like, don't do it, Gabriel Burns. Don't you dare! And then he lets him go, and you're like, gosh darn you, Gabriel Burns! You're like, that's gonna come back to haunt you. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's... Um, 
I I actually have the same person. So John Turturro from Mother's Crossing is also my best dramatic supporting. Yeah, performance. it's great. We don't need to say anything <laughs> else. John Turturro. I I'm gonna say something. I think John Turturro. I have now explored him as an actor in the views of the Coen Brothers. <laughs> okay. Because uh, I the first time I have ever recognized him as an actor was in a little film called. Gloria Bell, which uh-huh. he's also good at. Now yeah. I've now seen him in here. I've just asked for us to maybe make a movie where he's he's like a real well-to-do fellow, like you know, like you know, he's like the stepdad of like your mom, and you're like in your rounders. <laughs> he's a good dude in rounders. It's too late, Josh. I mean, like he kind of like he runs a seedy club, but like he's a good dude. Are you sure? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe it's like Martin Fake all over again. Who knows? How is he in Raging Bull? I forget. I don't remember him in Raging oh, Bull. Oh gosh. That was Transformer. Cars 2? Oh, I don't remember him in Cars Hannah 2. and her sisters. Oh, okay. What, how is he? I don't remember him. He gets all these Jewish roles just because he has a big schnoz. He's not actually Jewish. No, he's, he's Italian. And those are my thoughts. This is my TED Talk. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I don't think I have anything to add about Totoro. Uh, that look into your heart scene in the woods is... I lied! He's in Quiz Show! However, I always forget that he's the guy oh, from yeah. Quiz Show! Yeah. <laughs> Not a good dude in Quiz Show, no, though. No! No one is! <laughs> Maybe... <laughs> nope, nope, that's it. <laughs> How's it going? Yeah, no, can't... Yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, no, the look into your heart scene is one of the most transcendent scenes in cinema, and it is because of what him, he's doing on the screen. Um, my kind of, uh, people I ruled out, because we'll talk about the films, include Carrie Mulligan in Inside Lewin Davis, Javier Bardem in No Country for Old Men, John Goodman in Barton Fink, Kelly McDonald in No Country for Old Men, my other nominations besides Totoro. Is John Goodman in Barton Fink dramatic? I thought he was comedic! Listen, <laughs> I don't laugh at that role that much. I sure do. He's the devil. He's hilarious. Um, so my nominees are... You don't listen! <laughs> you don't listen! I'm trying. I'm trying to listen. As I watched listen. it, I really found myself in Barton Fink, and I wonder who I found in John Goodman. <laughs> Is it me? Is it me? I don't know, Josh. Maybe we'll get there someday. My uh, my nominations outside of Tutoro are Steve Buscemi in Fargo, John Polito in Miller's Crossing, Francis McDormand in Blood Simple, and William H. Macy in Fargo. Wow, he's so good. He's so good. That character is the worst. I know. I hate that character. Oh, no, I love him. Oh, you betcha. Just, oh, you betcha. But, yeah, no, he's... All facts him over to you. All facts him. Oh, you betcha. Oh, he's just the absolute, like, scum of the universe. Because he's, like, pretending to be so, like, oh, just don't you know, nice and all this. And he's really just trying to scheme and embezzle and just... It's like Canada. It's one of those things where the more that I watch Fargo, the like I think that initial critical reaction or initial response to Fargo was like, oh, how sympathetic and understandable this terrible human William H. Macy is. And then we're always like, Marge is amazing! And now I'm like, man, Marge, could you just take down this jerkbag? She's working on it. Come on. Because I think I'm more and more and more get even more on Marge's side with every watch of Fargo. Don't worry. We'll talk more about Fargo. Will we? I mean, yes. At least one specific element of that film. Kylie, what you got for your uh, best comedic performance? I don't know. (laughs) 
I don't know, Josh. I will tell you that narrowing down the nominations for comedic and dramatic performance was hard outside uh, of the It was the harder winners. to do lead than it was for anything else because, like, the supporting cast are, like, a really great, and then some of these yes. leads suck. Well, and they I don't, think... They're not... They don't, no, they're not I get terrible. that. But, like... Well, I don't know if you have this on yours, but, like, I get that Josh Brolin is the lead of No Country for Old Men, and I get that he's great in Hail Caesar, and I get that, but I'm so interested in everything else that's happening yeah. around him that I'm always just like, I don't care about Lewin, let's kill him already. That's some of the beauty of their films, is that the supporting players, even if they're not given a lot of time on screen, are memorable because they're given enough time to serve their purpose and create memorable moments and characters. So the leading performances are a little bit harder. What I will say is my my winners of these categories were almost the first things that I knew. It was filling in the nominations and figuring out who to leave out that I had a little bit of a struggle here. My only way to do it is to cheat, Josh. Also, I... My only way to do this is to cheat, Josh. That's okay. okay I can cheat? Yeah, you can cheat. All right, my winner is Jeff Bridges for The Big Lebowski. How is that a cheat? He's gonna be... He's gonna... Lebowski's my number two, Josh. Oh, okay. <laughs> Final answer. It's okay, you can I cheat. put Jim Robbins on here because I feel bad for him. Because <laughs> nobody's, like, loving Tim Robbins? I put Nicolas Cage for Raising Arizona because I, I knew that was a comedy. Uh-huh. I have Frances McDermott for Fargo. Don't know if that's a comedy. Don't know if she's comedic in it, but need to fill out this list. And here's Jeff Bridges. Not sure who the lead was burn after reading, so I just swept that off. Not going to put Intolerable Cruelty on here, because that's not really a film. <laughs> Lady Killers is just bad, and everything that everyone's doing in that is just off-putting for me, except for maybe Marlon Wayans. I'm yeah. pretty okay with Marlon Wayans. Yeah, weirdly. He gets out scot-free. What about Also, JK? Mr. Pickles. He's doing something weird, too. <laughs> Mr. Pickles the cat? <laughs> yeah. Um, can I put the cat as the <laughs> Which cat? Lewin Davis isn't a comedic performance, Josh. It's a tragedy. Okay, yeah. Uh, so Jeff Bridges for The Big Lebowski. Great. It's the dude, it's iconic. Yeah. What do you want me to say <laughs> for this, Josh? Whatever you would like to say, well, Kylie. Just like watching this man go through the trials and tribulations and all he wants in all of this, when you watch this whole film, when you watch this whole film, his center goal is to get a frickin' rug for his apartment. <laughs> that is the whole crux of his journey through this. He wants the money so he can buy a rug. He wants to get the rug back from Maude. He's just, he just wants a rug. And you're just watching this guy and you're like, dude, get out. <laughs> just get stop out now. now. <laughs> just go buy a new rug. <sighs> I'm like, he's so cool. And there's that scene... The dream scene where he's coming down the stairs and he's dancing and you're just like, Oscar, Oscar, best dance scene. Why isn't that a category? Why isn't he just best performance ever? <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. And even if you're not okay with, like, the whole, like, stoner community or whatever, I feel like the dude is, like, the version that you can get behind. Okay. He's just minding his own business. So this is my moment where I get to talk about The Big Lebowski. I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit no, later, too. No, we're not going to ever talk about um, it again. But so I also have Jeff Bridges as my number one comedic performance. It's the correct choice. Um, I, He's great. He's wonderful. He's perfect in we, every way. 
practically perfect in every way. Before we get there, my nominations are, um, oh, my person I had to leave out because he's on my list later is George Clooney for A Brother Where Art Thou? Um, but my nominations are uh, Tim Blake Nelson for The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I think he's great in that movie. Uh, Nick Cage. He's a supporting Nobody's the lead! He's the title character! I cheated, I had to, whatever. I don't care, Josh! Well, you have one on your list that I'm like, that's not a comedic performance, but we'll talk about it later. Is it Francis McDormand? We'll talk about it later. It's Francis McDormand. We'll talk Maybe? about it later. Is it Tim Robbins? We'll talk about it later. I don't know, Josh. I, I just... can't keep cracking my knuckles. Josh, I'm just, like, so confused. I don't understand the Coen brothers. So... Tim Blake Nelson for Buster Shrugs, Nick Cage for Raising Arizona, Tim Robbins for The Hudsucker Proxy, Josh Brolin for Hail Caesar, and Jeff Bridges for The Big Lebowski as the winner. Josh Brolin for what? Hail Caesar. That's not funny. That... He's a tragic character. I... He's the straight man of that movie, like, I give you that, but he's also the lead of that comedic movie. No. Yeah, he's the lead of the comedic movie, but he is not giving a comedic performance. I would almost a disagree. A Because you have to play the straight man in those roles, and that is a comedic type to do. Yeah, but no one cares about what happens to Josh Brolin. Well, I mean... He's, like, boring. You are necessarily... You you are correct <laughs> in that finding this category in particular was hard to fill out the five. Because it's, <laughs> it's literally Jeff Bridges and everybody else. Like... So like, let's, and then I also eliminate Clooney because I'm going to talk about him later. So like, <laughs> but we, shoot, day. But we both agree that Nicolas Cage can yeah, be in this yeah, category. Yeah, absolutely. Good, good Nick Cage. Bridges is great. I don't actually know if I would have Bridges in this category if I if we did this a year ago because it took me a long Cause time. Because like, I'm a convert. I'm a convert. This you know? is the greatest accomplishment of the Cohen brothers thus far. Is that I'm finally on board with the Big Lebowski? Yeah, you finally get it. Well, so for me, it's the thing that I don't love about the Big Lebowski is nothing to do with the film, and it's the culture that is around the film that like the incessant quoting of the movie and the incessant like whoa whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. just because are you talking about me and no, me quoting it's it it's not you it's not you you use your quotes well <laughs> for me it's the connection to the drug culture and the connection to the stoner addicts and how this is on every college room dorm and like it's just there's just this beloved nature for this movie that like sure it has some things to say and sure it's trying to do some things but it's not like the be all end all best movie that there ever is I disagree <laughs> and that's fine you can disagree and I think there's a healthy way to disagree with me on that statement the thing that I don't think anybody disagrees on is Jeff Bridges. Like, the, the fact that that performance was not even nominated for an Oscar, let alone didn't win, it wasn't nominated. Like, it is literally one of the most iconic, amazing performances. He just lives in this character. You just watch him glide on and off screen in this comfortable way where you're not really even watching Jeff Bridges at that moment. You're just, you're watching the dude. And what's even more helpful to pair and contrast with is... The True Grip performance, which he's good in, he's really great as Rooster Cogburn, it's just not quite as lived in. It's not quite, it feels just a little bit more artificial. And like, just, and I use that in that way of the dude with Jeff Bridges is something that's just so uniquely unique, I guess. I ran out of words, but it's just so <laughs> unique and so special. Would you and say so, it's unique? It's very unique. It's not like my favoriteest Coen Brothers performance of all time, but it's definitely up there and amazing. 
It's so, one of the more iconic ones. Yes, I agree with that. I think our culture. All right, best dramatic performance. This was the one that was hard. Like, this one was hard for me to narrow down my nominations. Oh, no, it's great. It's easy. Oscar Isaac inside Lewin Davis, Michael Stuhlberg, A Serious Man, Gabriel Burns, Dolores Crossing, John Getz. I don't know if that's the guy, but the guy from Blood Simple, yeah, the Getz. Blood Simple guy. Yeah. And then Haley Steinfeld from True Grit. And, of course, my winner will be if I leave off things that are on my top five. Hmm. <laughs> Josh, who you who you got there? Who you got? Which one should I talk about? You tell me which one you want me to talk about. Do you want me to do my nominations first? I'm gonna let first? you know that John Getz is the one I have the least amount to say, but I remember him being good. Do you want me to? to do you want me to do mine? Sure. Okay. Maybe you have the right answer. You t- what's what's okay. the answer? Okay, so my nominees uh-huh. are. I also have Haley Steinfeld for True Grit. Uh-huh. I've got Tommy Lee Jones for No Country because Tommy Lee Jones is the lead of that movie. Is he? Yes. Okay. It's a, it's a three part story and it's kind of ensemble but like I consider it, he's the protagonist, so I consider him the lead. He's the only one that learns or changes throughout that film. Oh, it's because the guy dies. Also, last one standing. So. Well, yes. Anton Chigurh's still out there. Maybe. For us all. Maybe. Well, also, time has passed him by. He is now an old man, too. Um, <laughs> oh my god. Well. No, it takes place in modern era, didn't you know? Uh, Did you know that True Brett also took place back in the what? past? What? Um, <laughs> Gabriel Byrne for Miller's Crossing, John okay. Turturro for Barton Fink, Oscar Isaac for Inside Lewin Davis, uh-huh. Michael Stuhlbarg for A Serious Man, and my winner is Francis McDormand for Fargo. Okay, well. So, like, that's, that's why I was like, no, we're gonna talk about it, because, like... I don't know, Josh. I I did this in like 10 minutes. Uh I looked at my list. I said, I don't know who the leads are of these films. There's so much happening. There's too much happening. You're not even introduced to Frances McDormand until like 40 minutes into Fargo. And and like when she shows up, you're like, well, we're introducing a new character. But then immediately we get it. We get it and we're on board. Yeah. I will say that she is my favorite dramatic performance in a Coen Brothers film because to me, she centers and grounds that movie in this very honest realism. It's the it's this one kind of everyman character that they have this reverence for and that her do-good nature is never punished, but she never wavers from her morals. Her and Norm are relationship goals, like, all day long. And she's used to show that... So what I love about her as this like kind of archetypal Cohen character is that I said earlier that the Cohens talk about morality through money and she just never understands why they're doing all this for money. That scene in the car where she's like, how could you do all this for money? It's such a beautiful day outside. Like go to the park. She doesn't say go to the park, but like it's basically she's just questioning everybody's motivations and actions because she doesn't understand it. She is the moral compass that I think the entire Cohen universe pivots around and to be just this that and I also love that her job's just a work a day job like she comes home and what does she want to talk about with her husband his 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 paintings oh you got the three cent stamp I'm so uh, it's so good for you I'm so love so much love so support like she is just as iconic and lived in and special and unique as the Jeff Bridges performance is the Frances McDormand performance is also as well and it, it just coming out in the mid 90s and there is it's just this female character that stands up above the rest of this male canon of detectives trying to solve these crimes and 
there's that scene with her ex-boyfriend in there, which makes it distinctly... I think it allows it to have a distinctly feminine... Be a, be a distinctly feminine character um, and have all of those elements to it. I think that I like that she is a character who is pregnant, but is not defined by her pregnancy. I just... Yeah, it's it's kind of everything that I would want out of a dramatic performance in a Coen Brothers film. Josh, I'm have a winner. It's a, it's a, it's a three-way tie. Okay. It's a four-way tie. Top, tie. It's, it's a twelve-way tie. Everyone just wins. It's okay. It's, we're done. It's okay. Okay. Well, well, what? Pick one. Pick one and talk about it. Which one do you want to talk about? <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember who you. We said a lot of the same ones. Gabriel Byrne. Miller I like Crossy. Gabriel Byrne. Uh-huh. What would you say about him? I think that he is. In introspective in a lot of ways. I think that his performance really allows you to get to the interior of that Wait, film. Wait, no, I already have that one. Okay. Uh, what would you say about Haley Seinfeld? I think she's great. Okay, I, cool. I, perfect. Alright, so, Josh, this is the end of the episode. You didn't pick a winner. It's Haley Seinfeld. There's one more thing that I wanted to do before oh this episode ended. Oh my gosh, what do you want? Okay, what? what's up, Josh? No, I'm, pl- I'm playing ball. I'm here to play ball. Hey Josh, how okay. can I help you? So, I just wanted to go over, um, because, like, I'm Why a... Why do you feel so sad? No time for sadness. I'm not a sad, I'm just a sadist. Um, so I ranked my top 20 performances of Cohen's, and I wanted to just read them real fast. Like, these are my top 20, like, overall all-time performances. So starting at 20... Uh, Kelly McDonald for No Country for Old Men, John Malkovich for Burn After Reading, Tommy Lee Jones for No Country for Old Men, George Clooney for A Brother or Art Thou, Haley Steinfeld for True Grit, Brad Pitt for Burn After Reading, Matt Damon for True Grit, um, Tim Blake Nelson for A Brother or Art Thou, John Turturro for Barton Fink, Gabriel Byrne for Miller Crossing, we're into 10 now, John Goodman for The Big Lebowski, 9, uh, John Turturro for Miller's Crossing, Fred Melman, A Serious Man, is 8, John Goodman for Barton Fink is 7, Alden Ehrenreich for Hail Caesar is number 6, Jeff Bridges is number 5 for The Big Lebowski, Javier Bardem, number 4 for No Country for Old Men, Francis McDermott, Fargo, 3, Oscar Isaac, Lewin Davis, 2, and my number one favorite all-time Cohen performance is... Michael Stuhlbarg in A Serious Man. There we go. Friends, Romans, countrymen, I can't lend you my ears because, well, we're on a podcast, but also Kylie left. And uh, I think I broke her, but we still have another one to record. So I'm just going to wrap this one up. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so at friendofafriendpodcast at squarespace.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. Leave us a five-star review or any star review, as well as hit that subscribe button. Uh, that helps us get more listeners. We very much appreciate it. You can find us on Facebook at Friend of a Friend Podcasts. You can find us on the Twitters at... DWT underscore podcast. You can find us on YouTube's at Dutch Fox, Duck, Ducks Watch Together, Tumblr's at Ducks Watch Together, Letterboxd at Kylie Gallisher and Darby ACT. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Josh. Kylie is somewhere having a mental breakdown, apparently. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs>